Welcome to my podcast, Katie's Journey. I'm your host, Kaylee Dwyer, aka KD. This show is designed for the lifelong learner, the curious brain, and the person who's probably always asking why. You'll be joining me on my journey as I meet new people, try new things, and gain the valuable insights of others as I explore my professional career. So join me on this journey if you're interested in doing the same. Hey listeners, welcome back to Katie's Journey. It's crazy to think that we are on episode 8 already. For those of you that have been here from the start of my journey, thank you so much for the support. I seriously mean that. So totally awesome. But without further ado, let's jump into it. I've been reading this book called The Second Mountain, The Quest for a Moral Life by David Brooks, and it's certainly been really eye-opening and definitely a page-turner, so highly recommend if you're bored or maybe you're not bored and you're looking to join a quest for finding your moral self, then go ahead and do it. And, you know, I would consider myself a moral person prior to reading the book, so I won't tell you that you'll completely change. But it does open your eyes to some things that we go through in life that maybe don't have a, you know, a label to them per se. David talks about the valley and the valley of our life. And when you think about that, I have heard this in some forms, but not how David puts it. So the second mountain is generally something that that you really go to at the second portion of your life, obviously. So the first mountain is something that we are really growing up, learning the ropes, and have a general understanding of what life is really like. But the second mountain is different. The second mountain is almost when you become at peace with your inner self, and you have a different perspective on what the world has to offer, and on the flip side of that, what you have to offer the world. So what is the valley? The valley in our lives is some form of suffering. Some people are busy at work, and they realize that they've lost a thread in their lives. Some people suffer heartbreak. Some people lose a loved one. Some people experience cancer or maybe have a stroke. For others, it doesn't have to be a dramatic crisis. It can just be a gradual loss of enthusiasm in what they're doing with their lives. But either way, in some way, shape, or form, people find their way into the valley. And you absolutely could live your entire life without ever experiencing the valley. As much as it sounds kind of negative, it's really not. As you read further along into the book, it almost sounds as if the valley is something that's necessary to go through in order to really reach the second mountain. So if we're looking at this and you're thinking of two mountains, the valley is something that would be in between the mountains, duh. I, I started to wonder, like, have I been in a valley at some point? And what was that valley? Or have I been in multiple valleys? What number mountain am I on? Because in my book, maybe I'm on mountain 17. Maybe I've been through 16 different valleys and it led me to mountain 17. Or maybe I haven't gone through the real valley yet of my life. And that's kind of terrifying. What could be worse <laughs> than what I've already gone through, right? So it's it's a weird thing to comprehend, and I guess you'll know it when you're there, but David Brooks explains when you know you're in the valley. Brooks said we go through a familiar process before we can comprehend what our problem is. So okay, I can understand that. First, we deny that there's anything wrong with life at all. Constant denial. Then we intensify our efforts to follow the old failing path. 
you know, we're trying to convince ourselves that there's not a problem. We're trying to convince ourselves there's nothing wrong with life or that we don't need to change. Then we try to treat ourselves with a new thrill, like drinking more or having an affair. And when you start looking at this and looking at the people in your life, maybe you could start seeing what type of valley other people are going through just by some of these key indicators. But David Brooks says when all of this fails, it's when we realize at that very moment that we need to admit that we have to change how we think about life. So how I understand this is you identify a problem and you deny that there's a problem. You don't want to change, so you keep going on about your life as if there isn't a problem, but you know very well that there is. And then you try to make the problem go away by removing yourself from reality, like drinking more. That's not fun. But when all of this fails and you realize there's nowhere else to turn, your back's against the wall, you need to change. Now, I know that sounds really dramatic, and it, and it really doesn't have to be that dramatic. But to some extent, maybe it does. Maybe, maybe that needs to be the catalyst for change for some people because, you know, we're all different. We all handle life experiences differently. We all handle different challenges, uh, different than someone else might handle it. But at the end of the day, recognizing that we need to change is so massively important to not only being self-aware, but also giving yourself the tools to get out of the valley. That's the end goal, right? For people that don't know their purpose, they can actually be categorized into the Telos crisis. This is defined by the fact that people in it don't actually know what their purpose is. And I could tell you right now, I think I know what my purpose is, but maybe I don't. I'm only 23. Maybe my purpose is something way different. Maybe yours is too, for those listening. We don't know. Or maybe you do. Maybe you're confident in what your purpose is. And you know what? Good for you. I'm proud of you. Brooke says that if you know what your purpose is, you can handle the setbacks. But when you don't know what your purpose is, any setback can lead to a total collapse. Have you ever tried stacking cards up to make a huge card tower? Well, I have. And you know when you finally get that tower looking beautiful, you're just about to take a picture and you think it could handle one more card on top? Well, it collapses. And I, I thought about this when I read this line in, in The Second Mountain, because at the end of the day, if the cards can't handle the setbacks or the cards can't handle that extra weight, it leads to collapse. And similarly with humans, if we're not strong enough to handle the emotional weight or situational weight or anything that adds to our lives that we're just not ready to handle yet, it can absolutely lead to a total collapse. And it's tough to build back up again, but it's not impossible. David Brooks also said that it comes in two forms. The Tellos crisis can come in a walking and sleeping form. And yes, I'm a sleepwalker, but no, I'm not in the Tellos crisis. <laughs> so one of the forms, walking, is the person suffering keeps going through life. So as a quick example here, let's say one of your close friends just got, it, just got cheated on. And they have no clue what to do with their life. It's totally earth shattering. And for a very good point. It is. That's shitty. But for whatever reason, that per that person, that person who just went through that heartbreak is just walking through life. And maybe they're not doing anything about it. Maybe they're not moving on. Maybe they're still talking to that person. But regardless, they're not doing anything that's very different from what they were doing before besides just living. And then there's the sleeping form. The person that is suffering so badly that they're paralyzed by self-focus. For example, B 
being stuck in bed watching Netflix. You can't move. You don't want to face the things that are going on in your life. And this setback in your instance and in that instance leads to a total collapse. And you're in that sleeping form of the Tellos crisis. I'm not going to lie. I think I visited the sleeping form of the Tellos crisis a few times. When you're growing up and you're looking to navigate different emotions and different situations, sometimes you don't know how to handle it other than just shutting off. If your brain cannot comprehend the situation or you cannot emotionally break down what has happened or what's going to happen, you just shut off. And it's tough to turn yourself back on after that. It's not just watching Netflix in bed. It's not just being lazy. It's just not knowing what to do and not knowing what's next. But this doesn't just happen on the individual level. It can actually happen to entire societies. And we've been through this as a group. In the early 1960s, we embraced a hyper-individualistic way of life. David Brooks said that this way of life has led to a society where people live further and further apart from one another, socially, emotionally, and even physically. He said that this has actually produced four interrelated social crises. And I'll go through them, don't worry. The first one is the loneliness crisis. And listen to these ridiculous statistics because I was blown away. I read them to Matt and he was like, yep, yep, that's, that's true. That happens and this is where our life is now. But 35% of Americans that are over 45 are chronically lonely. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you. Only 8% of Americans report having important conversations with their neighbors in a given year. That doesn't surprise me. We have lived in this house for over a year. Ask me how many conversations that we've had with our next door neighbor. Uh... A handful of maybe one. We don't look at each other. We do a maybe faint smile here and there. But overall, I don't even know their names, let alone their children's names. I just know that sometimes the car is in the driveway and sometimes it's not. And that is a direct reflection of what society looks like today. 30% of households are single-person households. Uh, well, that one's easy to believe considering, you know, no one can stay in a marriage longer than five months. But did you know in the early 1950s that number was less than 10%? It's just so hard to understand this, but it's so easy to believe because this is what we're living in. The second crisis is distrust and alienation. The great sociologist Robert Nisbet defines alienation as the state of mind that can find a social order remote, incomprehensible, or straight up fraudulent. We now assume that if you sacrifice, Others will take advantage instead of giving back. Reciprocity has virtually disappeared. Every age group in America is less trusting than the one before. And for good reason. People are less trustworthy. Why? Well, distrust breeds distrust. Plain and simple. This one really isn't hard to believe. Look at the life that we're living today. Look at the news. The types of news stories that we're seeing today. People can't trust police. People can't trust their neighbor. And in some instances, these people are less trustworthy. We start believing. We start going through the second crisis of distrust. And I wholeheartedly believe that. The third crisis here is the crisis of meaning. When you take away a common moral order and tell everyone to find their own definition about the mystery of life, I can promise you that most people will come up empty. And I'm a person that needs structure. I'm a person that very much loves an agenda, loves the class syllabus so I can know what's coming up in 10 weeks. I'm that person. But if you put me, you know, in a field and said, find, find the mystery of life and come up with your own definition, I'd be a little bit baffled for a while. 
and I'd probably give it my best shot. If you throw that at everybody in the world that we're living in today, it's it's really tough to understand. It's tough to find that meaning. What does this life mean? What do our lives mean? Especially as we're living through these incredible changes that will go down in history. How do you find and how do you define what moral order is and what life is? Honestly, people no longer feel as if they're a part of a much larger story. Although we're living through all these vast historical changes, we no longer feel as if we're living through these changes together. These changes are almost stories of separation, stories of, like I said, distrust, and stories that we feel like we're experiencing individually, when really, we're still experiencing them as a whole, but I would call it a broken whole. The fourth crisis is tribalism. This is our reaction to extreme individualism. This is individualism that's taken too far. That's how you get the word tribalism. People who are experiencing existential dread slip into crisis mode and think, I'm in danger. I'm threatened. I must strike back. Their evolutionary response is self-protection, just like all of ours. So they fall back on ancient instincts for how to respond to a threat. And their response is us versus them. And that's what David Brooks writes about in this book. He calls it the evil twin of community. Yes, community brings people together, but community is based off of mutual affection. Tribalism, how David Brooks uses it, is based off of mutual hatred. That, that is a crazy difference. Crazy. So you might be wondering, Kaylee, what the hell? You basically just knocked me off of my high horse today. What kind of freaking podcast is this? Well, I promise you that some good can come out of the valley, so keep listening. Whether your valley is personal or social, suffering will happen and you will feel pain. But it could also be a critical moment in your life. John Keats said that we live in a mansion of many apartments. When we're on the first mountain, we're living in what Keats called the thoughtless chamber. Like I said earlier, this is just a default chamber where we're unthinkingly absorbing values in a way of life that happens to be around us. But sometimes suffering can be a part of a much bigger story of change and redemption. We can suffer our way to wisdom. And it's not the type that you learn from books but it's the type that you learn from experience and it's the type that you learn from being in the valley. David Brooks said, suffering teaches us gratitude. This means we're more sympathetic to others. Whatever you went through, maybe all of a sudden you're now realizing that other people go through something very similar. So you find a sympathy in yourself that you've never had before. He also said that suffering calls for a response. This isn't a response to go out and seek pleasure. These people will realize that seeking pleasure as a result of going through something horrible or suffering won't satisfy the deep hunger that that's there to fill the emptiness that suffering reveals. So people that go to seek a response are people that give back to the community. They're doing something larger than themselves to fill that deep hunger and fill that emptiness that the suffering put there. David Brooks said, lastly, suffering shatters the illusion of self-sufficiency. You truly start to see the bigger picture. You realize that you don't need to go through all things alone. You realize that although the community seems broken, that there are key individuals here for you and that are rooting for you to not go into a valley again. Or if you do go into a valley again, to realize that you have the support, love, and friendship there to pull you out of it or help you get to the second mountain. The poet Ted Hughes observed that the things that are worst to undergo are often the best to remember. 
And I'm sure a lot of you listening to this right now can relate to that. So if you're in the valley or you haven't experienced it yet, just know that it's happening for a reason. You're strong enough to get through it. And I promise you'll grow in the process. This was a short and sweet Katie's Journey episode today. But for all of those listening, I truly hope you enjoyed it. And if you're going to do anything, go buy this goddamn book because it is awesome. And there's so many more insights like this. It truly changes how you view society and puts terms to things that I previously and we previously haven't put terms to. Now I'm possibly going to look at the low parts of my life like a valley. And I always know that there's a way to get out of the valley. You're never in deep enough of a hole to stay there. You're not stuck. And like I said, it's happening for a reason. So trust the process. Trust yourself see the larger picture, and live your life. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Catch me next week for yet another Katie's Journey. Thanks, everyone.